decision making. That is like the number one to me skill set that, that those in the fire service possess is you're making these split second decisions in you know extreme conditions on very little sleep and they have to be good decisions. Do you have any advice for all of us out here in terms of honing that skill set? It's a skill that uh, you just get your reps in and it's just like being any kind of health practitioner. You gotta know if the foot's causing the, hip, the knee pain or the hip's causing the knee pain or if the opposite shoulder's causing the knee pain. Uh, it's knowing where to look and knowing when to ask questions and also when to back off, which I think is a, a useful thing for healthcare in general. This is Maestro on the Mic. A podcast designed to help you change your mindset and your life. It is time for something new. Join host Dr. Shante Cofield, also known as the Movement Maestro, on a journey to see the bigger picture. Open your eyes. Find your passion and discover how movement unites us all. Let's get it popping. This is Maestro on the Mic. I'm the Maestro, and you're about to get maestro Three, two... Hey guys, Maestro here, and welcome back to another episode of Maestro on the Mic. Today I have two guests, and this is a very special and very different episode than, quite frankly, any of the episodes that I've done thus far. Today I have with me not one, but two members of the fire service. Uh, One of them I've known for a little bit of time, and it's just been... Her role in my life and what I've learned from her and seen from her has been just absolutely incredible. And I knew that I had to bring them on, both of them on, uh, to talk with you. So I'm going to give you guys a little bit of a a brief overview, and then I'll pass the mic on and they they can uh, give you the rest. So first, we have my good friend, Annette Zapp. She is a 16-1-6-year veteran of the fire service, and she holds the rank of lieutenant at the Lyle Woodridge Fire Protection District. Uh, And she also has quite a few years, uh, 25 to be exact, experience in fitness and coaching uh, and training. Actually, if you guys attended my Maestro, Moving with the Maestro course in the Chicago area, we went and had it. She she hosted it. I got to go in the fire truck. It was a whole thing. It was was really cool. Uh, But most notably, what I want you guys to to know uh, is that she was recently appointed to the Illinois Legislative Task Force on First Responder Suicide. And this is something that we're going to be talking about a bunch in this episode because it's just such a powerful message and such a powerful undertaking. Uh, and one of the main reasons that I brought her on. Next, we have handsome Chris Morella. He has been a firefighter paramedic since 2003 and currently serves at the Elgin Fire Department. He's also the founder of Fourth Shift Fitness. I should have said Annette is also the founder of Fire Rescue Fitness. So they both have their respective companies, and we will delve into that. Um, but they they're bringing really solid, solid message that I want all of you guys to hear. So without further ado, welcome to the show, Annette and Chris. Welcome, friends. Thank you so much, Shante. Thank you. It's great to be talking to you. Dude, these accents, I love them, Midwest. So I'm going to pass the mic right over to Chris, and I give him a very brief overview of your background, but who are you, Chris? How'd you get into this? What do you do? Uh, well, I appreciate you saying that I'm handsome, considering uh, you've always made my best light on Instagram with the baby <laughs> next to me, so it's it's nice that uh, he's rubbing off a little bit. So, um, But yeah, you're, you're right. I, I uh, have been in the fire service since 2003. 
before that, I'd always grown up around fitness. Um, my dad was in the Marines and, and heavily into fitness after he got back from Vietnam. And uh, my mom worked at the Wheaton Sports Center, which is like a, a personally owned Bally's in our, our little oh. town we grew up in. So she did that. And she was an aerobics instructor for almost 30 years, I think. And she did the whole thing. She did spin and water aerobics and step and everything. So I was always in that environment. Uh, after high school, I went and played junior hockey for a few seasons. And I was under uh, some really good strength and conditioning coaches there. And then I got a job because it was time to stop playing hockey and start being an adult, unfortunately. So I worked for the Winfield Fire Protection District. I worked as a contract medic for a different department. I worked full-time for a different department. I worked as a driver for a critical care company that had helicopters. I just did the ambulance stuff, though. And then I got hired in Elgin in 2008. Uh, About 2011 or 12, one of the other Elgin firemen opened up a strength and conditioning facility uh, in the town just south of us. So I started working for him. And that's when I officially got my CPT and started training uh, the group classes. And we had youth athletes and adult athletes come through. So I kind of cut my teeth in that group training environment with him doing our strength and conditioning stuff that we sourced from guys like Rafael Ruiz down in Tampa and and all the guys that he's worked with. So uh, a couple years later, I was involved with the, the Elgin Fire Department's Physical Fitness Committee and Health and Wellness Committee. And we had three or four guys go off on catastrophic injuries. So we had a couple back injuries and a couple shoulder injuries that put guys off the job on disability pensions. And all these guys were under the age of 50. All of them had families. Uh, Three of them still have like a 45 pound weight restriction. They can't lift anything up. And what we learned through that was once somebody gets hurt and they're kind of in the system, uh, we can't help them anymore. We're totally Mm -hmm. hands off. We can't adjust a, a PT's order. We can't give them good advice. We can't tell them wow. maybe this is better than that because once we do that, we're putting their benefit at risk. The The doctor can come back and say, you didn't do what I told you to. Wow. You were in violation of my treatment plan. Now your benefits at risk to being taken away. So uh, with that, I saw a need and I saw a need because I knew I had the coaching background and a little bit of the gift of gab. And so I decided to create four shift fitness and try to get to as many fire departments as possible and maybe get ahead of these things before they become issues. Yeah. You can't help them anymore. And so I've been kind of pursuing that. I started the company officially in 2017, late 2017. I've gotten out to four or five departments at this point and given back and shoulder health seminars and uh, injury prevention seminars. And I just wrapped up a three-day uh, nutrition fundamentals seminar for one of the area departments. So I'm, I'm happy I'm getting out and trying to help guys and maybe uh, do a little bit of good before they get in that process and I can't help them anymore. Dude, I have many questions. I wrote them down. This is very good. I'm going to pass it over to Annette for the same thing, and then we'll keep the conversation going. Who are you, Annette? Who? Who am I? You know what's so interesting, Shante, is that I think it was in 2015, but it might have even been 14, when I met you in Naperville at a rock oh, tape seminar. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'll circle yes. back to my history, but you know what? You... I just knew that day that you were going to be important in my life. I didn't know how, but I was kind of in the midst of a dark time in my life then. Um, I got into the fire service in 2004. My background is biochemistry. I have a master's degree in biochemistry. And then so logically, you know, fitness would be the next step with a degree in biochemistry. (laughs) And then after that, (laughs) fire service, right? All of that makes sense. But what I didn't realize about the fire service 
is that uh, no one prepares you for a couple of things. No one prepares you for the sleep deprivation and everything yeah. that that involves. And no one prepares you for the trauma that you see. And so as time went by, year by year, I just became a little more isolated, a little more angry, a little more, you know, making plans and not following through, a little less apt to go to an educational seminar or something of that nature. And so the fact that I even went to that rock tape seminar is amazing. It's amazing. The fact that we connected afterwards is amazing. And I just, I absolutely credit you for turning my life around because that was probably the first step for me coming out of the dark tunnel and back to the light. And so I guess (laughs) my dude, I'm like, I know, but to answer your question, um, so I'm a 16 year veteran of the fire service. I am a Lieutenant and I kind of noticed right away when I got into the fire service that we are an underserved population a professional athlete or even a junior hockey player has a ton. Chris said he had a great strength and conditioning coach. Most fire departments have nearly zero resources for their employees. So my kind of role or my vision in forming fire rescue fitness was to basically serve the needs of firefighters worldwide if I can, but starting close to home. That's amazing. That is amazing. So what got you I'm, uh, Annette I'm still gonna stick with this one I'm just like still like floored by your story and like just fuck like I'm honored and touched I'm like ah, but what made you go into the fire service that is a great question that I will try not to spend three hours answering because I had always 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 wanted to go into law enforcement but every time I turned around there was a barrier the first time when I was much younger um, they weren't interested in the degree I had. <clears throat> so I went back to grad school. I got a better degree. Then I went to the testing process and they're like, oh shit, dude, your eyes suck. We can't. <laughs> so that was, that was a no. And so that's kind of when I got out of science and went into the fitness field. But in the fitness field, I made a couple more plays to get into law enforcement and, um, successfully actually, was, um, Chris, I don't even think you know this. I don't know if I've ever told you this, but I had an offer for the Secret Service, like a oh. letter for the Secret Service. You're not supposed to tell. It's a, it's, it's a secret. It's a secret. Right? Uh, but, that, but that was in the beginning of September 2001. So then September 11th happened. A fire oh. freeze went on. So yeah. <clears throat> so at that point, I was still working full time at a fitness center. And the great thing about working at a fitness center is you make your own hours, you can make a lot of money, but the bad thing is there's no time off. So when you're sick or your clients are sick, you don't get paid. And so kind of like Chris said, I decided I needed to get a real big girl job. And there were a lot of firefighters at the fitness center and I was speaking with them. Mm. They were telling me, which firefighters always do, they tell you about the great parts of the job. So, hey, you work every three days. There's lots of time off. We have great insurance coverage and unlimited shift trades and all of that stuff. So it sounded very, very, very enticing. So that was around 2000, early, I would say early 2002. And so I started going through the process of getting my EMT and getting my paramedic and, you know, all of those things and starting the testing process. So that's kind of where, where and how I ended up in the fire service. 
I'm going to keep with you, Chris. I haven't forgot about you. You're very handsome. But I want to keep <laughs> with you because you said something that I'd love for you to elaborate on. When you're looking to get into the fire service, everyone tells you the good things, much like any profession. Uh, but they don't tell you the other side. Can you speak to that and kind of how it plays into what you're so passionate about doing today? Absolutely. So some of the the great things I already mentioned, the time off, the camaraderie, the fact that, you know, you meet people from other departments and you become friends. All of those things are great. The family dynamic at the fire service can be wonderful. However, what people kind of fail to mention to you is that, uh, oh, Christmas falls on your shift this year. Sorry, dude, you got to work. Your little kid has an out of town hockey tournament sorry, dude, you got to work. So you can kind of work around those things sometimes, but you just need to understand that the fire service stops for no one. Our three-day rotation marches on no matter what you've got going in your life. So that's one aspect that I always try to explain to people. Another aspect is that sleep deprivation. So sleep deprivation, we could unpack this for hours, but some of the biggest things that sleep deprivation causes is aggravation of anxiety and depressive symptoms. So now you're taking someone who's seeing terrible things on on probably a daily basis in the fire service. Now we're going to sleep deprive them, aggravate their depression, aggravate their anxiety. Um, And oh, by the way, while you're sleep deprived, anxious and depressed, you're going to be driving a a ladder truck that costs a million dollars on the way to revive a three week old I mean, it's just, it's a recipe for disaster. So what I always tell people is it's a great job and you can support your family. However, you need to know the following things. You're going to miss family holidays. You're going to go hungry. You're going to go without sleep and you're going to see unimaginable things that you can never, ever erase from your hard drive. This, you guys listening, one, this is tugging at your heartstrings already. And this is one of the biggest reasons that I brought them on because we, you know, I'm talking to the general public, need to be more aware of these things. And, you know, right now it's the end of January when we're recording this and uh, the fires in Australia have been going on. And it's so easy to look at first responders and look at firefighters and champion them. And you guys like, they're amazing. You guys, you guys run into the fire. In that same vein, I think we need to ask ourselves, what are we doing to support these people that are running into the fire? And I had no idea about the side of things until until I started talking to Annette. And I was just like, holy smokes, like this is, there's a a huge void here. Chris, I want to pass this over to you. You guys together started Devote December. Can you talk about what that was and just kind of why you started it and, and the whole uh, the whole why it's why it was needed yeah i mean that was something that uh was kind of just i was actually in my in my basement where i do a lot of the videos just kind of working out and all of a sudden it popped in my head i think it was in november when i thought of it so way ahead of time obviously great, great plan <laughs> uh, but it was something where i kind of thought man the holidays are coming up and i had the same assumption that i think a lot of people do that the holidays uh around christmas and the new year are enormous times of suicide risk for people who have uh, predisposition towards it, or maybe it spurs something new, just the holidays in general. Stuff. Yeah. And so I, so I pursued that and I kind of went on. And what I found out was that for the general population, the spring months are actually worse. 
So there's mm -hmm. kind of a, a continuation of hmm. terrible momentum uh, through the holidays of the uh, pretty standardized rate of suicide. Then it drops off a little bit. And then the spring months, uh, there's a huge uptick. And what they kind of link that to is that people are going outside more and being more social and making more plans. Now, this pertains mostly to where we live because we have winter for uh, 17 months out of the year. <laughs> <It's> but, <true. laughs> but as people start getting more social, you might start to feel more left out and then you start to feel more isolated. Mm. And then if you had an issue that was kind of festering, now you really feel low and now we have a big problem. So originally we we're gonna be on our time crunch and we were gonna use it to, hey, let's draw attention to hopefully help someone in December. And then what it turned into was let's, look up how many people have committed suicide in the fire EMS community. And we're going to use that number to mean something. And so we're going to make this kind of a, hopefully a social movement. And I think at the beginning, when we first started, it was 113. So I can't remember the split exactly, but it was 113 fire and EMS had committed suicide. And so we were going to use that number as some sort of meaningful movement or meditation or devotion or whatever you want to do. But every day we were going to incorporate that number into our lives to, not only pay honor to those people who have taken their lives, but the bigger thing was if over the course of December, we can make a lot of relationships and draw a lot of attention to it. There's a half a fighting chance that maybe in the spring months, maybe somebody will look back and say, mm. man, I, I met this really cool person in December and I'm feeling really bad about myself. Maybe I'll call them up or I was feeling bad about myself, but I got on the bike and rode 11.3 miles that one day. Mm -hmm. and maybe I feel better. Maybe I'll jump on the bike. And so I'm not really sure what the outcome is going to be. All we were trying to do was draw attention to an issue like you would you talk to and then hopefully plant some seeds. So when this train's rolling in the spring months, maybe we can help out somebody. And how did it turn out? Uh, very well. I, I mean, for what it is, it was successful. It was a, it was kind of a strange dichotomy where you want to celebrate the success of this thing, but then you realize what you're celebrating and what the implications exactly. are less, less of a celebration, but more of a recognition. So, uh, as for the social aspect, it was phenomenal. I mean, we had people that, uh, have very, very loose peripheral ties to the fire service and they, they did something every single day. Uh, Annette and I have talked about it and there was one person that is local to her who devoted to walk, uh, yeah. Then, she, Shante knows Barb. Oh, you do? Oh, yeah. yeah. Right, right on. So yeah. she, she said, no matter what the number ends up being, I'm going to walk that many miles. And on the last day, she was traveling home from, I think, Indiana. And she was getting out of the car every three mile, every three hours and walking laps around the rest stops to make sure she got her miles. And then we had a handful of people walking extra. So if she hit midnight and didn't hit her goal, she was covered. So it turned into a really supportive, fantastic thing, considering what we were trying to do with it. Um, and I, I'm certainly not expecting anybody to chime in in March and April and say, hey, this this worked, but I hope we made a difference. Actually, I'm, I'm going to cut Chris off. Sorry about that. And I forgot to tell you this, Chris. I actually had someone reach out to me today, Shante, um, through uh, Facebook Messenger and say, hey, I just wanted to thank you because uh, I don't know where it came from, but out of the blue in early December, I just started feeling a certain way. And I, uh, and this is a person in the fire service. And so I went and I got some help and I'm just so thankful and grateful that so you guys had brought awareness to the initiative. So it. it's pretty That's cool. So good. That's so, so, so good. Uh, and that I know that you are, and this is maybe not a great thing to be good at, but you're really good at numbers. And one of the things that I like, 
the number keeps going up. Um, but can you just talk about that? Because the number started at, I think, 113, but it was not 113 at the end. Well, funny thing about this one, Chris Morello, when we first met uh, last spring, he was kind of almost in the depths of um, starting to study for his lieutenant's test. <clears throat> so the personality that I met in the spring is not the personality. When was your test? Uh, October, end of October. Okay, oh, so it his was supposed huh. to be, It got drawn out, but it was supposed to be beginning October, then end up being the end of October, mm. but a three month, three to four month lead up of studying. Okay, it. so he was he was like quiet and docile, and like super easy to get along with, and then because he was studying, and then this test dropped at the end of October, and all of a sudden like every five days I've got this message from him, this grandiose idea. And I'm like, holy shit, I can't keep up with this guy anymore. So it was, it was like maybe the second week of November, he reached out, like he said, and we were talking about the devote December and we hashed it all out over a bunch of text messages. Cause like who can pick up the phone and call? Exactly. Right? No, no text, text here. The exact day that we started talking about it, it was 113 total. Like he mentioned and then by the time a week had gone by, it was 114. And by the time December Jesus. rolled around, it was 116 total. Yeah. And like, then oh. unfortunately, during the month of December, we ended up with 132 total deaths. So 113 firefighters and 19 EMS. But <sighs> the really sad thing, Shantae, is these are actually numbers that are validated. So they're not happening in real time. It's not like um, a firefighter uh, commits suicide on Monday, and we have that statistic on Tuesday. These numbers from 2019 are going to continue to go up because we're going to continue oh. to validate these suicides. So, 132 total validated thus far. Yeah. This is, you guys listening, this is why I bring them on, not for like being Debbie Downer or anything like that. But, like, this is real, and it it all starts with. Awareness. I have a. And I was telling Annette and Chris before we hopped on the call. I have a bunch of guys in my my circle now. I got CrossFit box, and they're all looking to get into the fire service. And you know that's amazing. And I think that it's it's becomes kind of like Chris's story, where it's a natural progression of staying involved in something that allows you to be active and give back. And it's just like you know, and you can pay your bills. It's it, it can be great. But I think that it's so important that we present all sides of things and, and bring awareness to all sides of things and then support those who are supporting us. Like they're running into the fire and there's this whole other side of things that, that we're not talking about. Uh, Annette, you had brought up the, the rest side of things, the sleep deprivation side of things. Um, and it's really interesting because you guys listening, if you're into, you know, you're nerding out with the breath stuff and, and Brian McKenzie and anxiety and uh, carbon dioxide, excuse me, uh, carbon dioxide tolerance and things like that. And whoop bands are big right now. This is all great stuff, but how do you do this and utilize the tools in the face of a job like this? And that like, what are the strategies? Like you have to like go from sleep to awake, to, like ready to save someone's life and these weird schedules. Like what, what do you do? Shantae, the biggest thing that I tell people, and, and they don't like to hear this, but I create that personal responsibility. And that is, listen, I know that you work every three days and I know that you can't control what really goes on. You really have no control over your schedule when you're at the firehouse. You really don't. 
um, the public and the administration pretty much dictates to you what you're doing at any minute, every hour. So you don't have a lot of control. So knowing that you have to take control where you do have it. So instead mm-hmm. of staying up until midnight watching the you know Blackhawks game or whatever on duty, you need to take that personal responsibility and go to bed at a reasonable hour. That said, you also have to take an extreme amount of ownership of your sleep off duty. And, mm. and people are like, oh, Annette, that's easy for you to say. You don't have any little kids and mm-hmm. you don't have X and you don't have Y. Like Chris has the little guy and Chris has a wife. And so things are a little bit more complicated when you have other people playing into the, um, the algorithm. But you have to take that personal responsibility to get your best sleep when you can. The other thing that I say is that because you know that you're not going to sleep well, you can't afford to screw off on your nutrition and your training too. Mm -hmm. You have to get the things on point that you can get on point to be the most successful. Ah, Makes so much sense. Nobody wants to hear that, but it makes so much sense. Chris, can you speak to that in terms of your offering services? I know both of you are, but you're offering services in terms of strength and conditioning kind of stuff, kind of like this prophylactic measures. Are you getting buy-in? Uh, I mean, yes and no, because I'm, my biggest strength so far has been that uh, I work on a, a busy department and I can relate to these guys when I go talk to them, guys and girls. I can say, listen, I get it. I was up three times after midnight last night, and yeah, we're going to talk about eating vegetables. Like that's what we're doing right now. So <laughs> I'm sorry. Okay. And yeah, yesterday, uh, it was the engine officer's birthday. So we had a 42 pound, nothing but cake and two donuts. And that's just the way it was. So, cause some of the biggest problems we've had was we've had plenty of, uh, practitioners come in and want to help us. Uh, we've had chiropractors come in and other strength coaches and nutritionists and their presentation falls apart within the first five minutes because they'll say, this is what, how you should eat. This is what you should do. And then they'll be like, so what time are you guys leaving? Like, what time do you guys go home tonight? And we're like, we're, we're here till seven o'clock tomorrow morning. We don't. And right there, the credibility is out of here. And it's, it's all, like, oh. you know, <laughs> or they prescribe a, a very idealistic, stringent way to take care of yourself. And they don't understand that you may run eight to 12 calls in a shift spread out over 24 hours. And then the next day is pretty much learn how to be a human again. And then you get one free day to maybe function. And then you're back right in the frying back pan. on it. Uh, you don't get to have the luxury of, uh, and I call it a luxury of a nine to five because it's just a skewed we live in. It's just a different. You are hundred percent right with that. Yeah. And so it's a, uh, it's a different set of rules we live in. And I think where we fall into trouble a lot is we refuse to believe that. And so we'll try to yeah. power through and yeah. keep the quarters all going and do heavy workouts and just kind of keep our college ways up and then that might work for a couple of years and then you turn 30 ish and then it gets less and less easy. And then all of a sudden when you're halfway to retirement, you're 15 pounds heavier and you got no hair. So it, it's kind of a weird thing that <laughs> happens over the course, unless you start paying attention. And uh, one of the slides that I used in my nutrition uh, talk today was a study and it said, listen, as firefighters, we did a survey and we recognize all these things that the fire service is concerned about. We're concerned about, no time to work out. We're concerned about carcinogens. We're concerned about cardiovascular disease. We're concerned about bloodborne pathogens, getting other people's gross stuff on us. And then it said, however, these are often in contrast with the risk management side of the city you work for. And so it's mm-hmm. not to say that the city's bad or the mm-hmm. government's bad. It's to say that everyone's got a job to do. 
they have to yeah. limit risk and protect themselves. And we got to answer the bell when we go out and nobody but us is going to help ourselves make that easier or better in the future. That is huge. Chris, one more question is kind of keeping in line with that. A lot of my audience is some sort of provider, whether it's a PT, Cairo, massage therapist, whatever. What can we do as providers? Like what can we do to support in terms of like the schedules are crazy. You're sleeping is crazy. Like, is there anything that we can do? I think so. I mean, it just takes a different approach because if you, if you come into the fire service or fire station and present to a, a crew or a department in the whole, you have to understand that you're talking to a, a different universe of rules yeah. and, uh, and that's okay. That's just the way it is. And so it takes more of the, Hey, maybe out of this whole presentation or maybe out of my practice, if you take one thing away, that's a huge win. And I think cool. there's kind of a propensity that we've seen anyways of people to say, listen, this is the program. This is the best way to do it. And you have to be as close mm. to the perfect line as possible. And uh, that's where a lot of my presentations, I think there's strength because I keep a, a much broader brush on them because I know everybody's at different points in their career, different points in their mental health and their physical health. So I try to give people as many different looks at one problem as possible and say, listen, we're going to be here for another 45 minutes or an hour. If you take one or two things you can take and maybe use it eventually, or maybe when you're lifting someone, remember to position your hips like this, or maybe when you're eating, remember to think about this, uh, that can That's go huge. away. Uh, not getting too heady, not getting too stringent. Yeah. pays a lot of dividends and appealing to the fire service. That's huge. That makes sense. Make it actually relatable, digestible, usable. Annette, you have anything you want to tie onto that? A, a little bit, only in that firefighters are a really odd um, set of birds. Their, pers <laughs> their personalities are... Would you could probably agree, Chris? Chris could come to my fire department and go, "Yep, that's our George, and that's our Paul," <laughs> because we're the same across the world. Firefighters are the same. It's like a different circus, but same clowns. That kind of a thing. Mm -hmm. But yeah. I think that mentality is also what makes us good at what at our jobs. Yeah. Because we mm -hmm. question everything, we're skeptical about everything, we're making life and death decisions based on shitty information given yeah. by not reliable sources. I don't remember what that t-shirt says. It's like <laughs> firefighter making decisions based on terrible information from unreliable sources. So I think that that personality is what makes us good at our job. But the other thing that um, with the fire service as an outside practitioner you pretty much get one chance because the mm -hmm. fire service is one big, huge cesspool of gossip. And so mm. a practitioner comes in and gives a talk on a Monday morning to a certain shift. The other two shifts have already heard about the, the talk and all, yeah, that makes sense. everything the practitioner said. So, and there's already like inside jokes about it and all that stuff. So <laughs> it's just, if you're coming in from the outside, what I would try to do is get someone's perspective from the inside and go from there. So try not um, not saying that you are uh, you have a, a ton of experience in the fire service, but at least you would have some perspective and perspective. Yeah. Matters. Total sense. I'm going to I want to keep this and kind of tease it out a little bit more. See, that's like spot on the. Uh suggestions, I guess I would say for going in and like, that's like, know your audience 101, like know who you're talking to, especially all you providers out there, know who you're talking to, know you mean well, but like, know your, know your audience here. So Absolutely. that's like, you know, advice from the healthcare kind of, uh, 
perspective with things. What can we do, and we, I mean non-first responders do, in terms of this mental health, death by suicide, what, what can we do, Annette? I think what can the, I do? I think one of the main things that, that a civilian can do is not ever ask a firefighter, yeah. um, yep. what is the worst thing that you've ever seen? And Shantae, no one has ever asked me what the coolest thing I've ever seen mm-hmm. or the coolest thing I've ever done. Everyone wants to know what the worst thing I've ever done was. And without my even without my knowledge, that was sort of triggering me in a a bad way and so as a civilian i would you know if you're conversing with a firefighter ask them about the great things about their job the the cool things that they get to do but then just also know that your firefighter neighbor cannot be your personal first responder so just Mm -hmm. because you perceive them as a superhero and nothing bothers them and Um, They can do anything. You can't rely on them to be your own personal savior in terms of, oh, you know what? My dog is sick and he needs to be put down. And I know that that won't bother you. So can you go do it for me? Don't do that. (laughs) Well, I don't know. What do you think? What are your suggestions? Yeah, I mean, that that first one, uh, certainly don't have me put your dog down. I don't want to do that. Let's (laughs) get that out of the way first. So don't call me. That was fun enough for my own two. But uh the uh, the the worst thing you'd ever seen thing is is huge, and uh, yeah. so I want to touch on that. And I have another point as well, but it's one of those things where uh, it's that speaks to the gener- generational gap as well. Of mostly just purely experience that you know if you if you ask someone who's maybe five or less years in the fire service, what's the worst thing you've seen? That person's usually in their their mid to younger twenties, and they will be excited to tell you of this, these gory details and terrible things. And because it's new and it's, it is exciting. Mm-hmm. I mean, it really is. Yeah. Especially when something turns out well. And then when it doesn't, uh, some people think that excitement is enough to carry them through, but eventually you're going to take care of someone who looks like someone, you know, or yeah. deal with someone that you don't want to deal with, or something's going to happen where that story isn't a positive thing anymore. Yeah. And then when one story becomes not a positive thing, there's a better chance that the next time something similar that happens, because it will, that's going to be a negative. And the next thing is going to be a negative. And now when you're 10, 15 years in, somebody says, tell me the worst thing you've ever seen. You have a Rolodex of terrible shit that you don't want to talk about. Uh, yeah. And it's just, it's, it's tough. You know, you can take the it's, uh, exceptionally snarky route and mm-hmm. say, that was my route. You don't want to hear about dead babies, do you? And uh-huh. really people off, or you can say like, I don't do anything bad. I, I got a parrot out of a tree the other day. That's about as bad as it gets. You can go a couple different ways with it. You know, um, wow. if you can do that, some people have troubles doing that and it can really, really disturb them. So that's enormous, uh, yeah. for the general public. One thing I would say, and I've been kind of trying to help people with this is that in the fire service, we have, uh, enormous lack of closure overall. So regardless if it's a car accident or a medical call or a fire, we have patient contact time of less than 20 minutes. And once we drop that person off at the hospital or leave them with the cops at a car accident scene or reset their smoke detector in the house, we may never see that person again. Uh, And that leaves a lot of questions in a lot of people's heads. We don't know if the toddler's okay or if the teenager is walking again or if 
grandma we brought there if her pneumonia cleared up or if her daughter has to plan a funeral. I mean, it's all melodramatic stuff, it sounds like. Uh, but over That's the course of the year, it's a lot of open-ended questions that you don't get closure on. So I would say that if you are in a position where you're helped by a first responder, no matter what field or discipline it's in, and things turn out well or things turn out not so great, if you feel comfortable giving that first responder group closure, I think that can go a long way. I mean, even the bad stuff. I can't tell you. Yeah. We've had people come back and say, listen, I know you tried to help my parents and you guys did a great job, but it didn't turn out well. And, uh, you know, life happens, but thanks for trying. And even though it's a yeah. poor result, it's not the result we want. Knowing something happened. It's closure. It's, yeah. it's huge. So it's difficult to do. Um, it's definitely not your responsibility to do. We're there for you. We're there to make your job, your life a little bit better when it's at its worst. We get that. But if you have the opportunity to and you're comfortable to, I think closure is a massive tool that uh, we would appreciate. That's phenomenal. I wouldn't have ever thought about that. I'm really appreciative. Annette, you brought up, because I was going to, you, you've talked about this before, how like that question of what's the worst thing you've seen, like that's a, a terrible question. I'm so glad you brought it up. Thanks for bringing it up. And then that's such a, a phenomenal uh uh, recommendation, suggestion, whatever, uh, to bring closure. I would have never even, none of us out here would have th think about that. It's like you're grateful and then you're just like, move on to the next day and you just like hope that person knows how grateful you are. So that is, wow, thank you for sharing that one there. I think another thing that we could add on to what Chris said. Yeah, go ahead. That when people do stop by the firehouse, they feel like they need to bring something. <laughs> and so, if you're coming to provide closure, you do not need to bring donuts and you do not need to bring cookies. Please don't. Like, and, just, yeah, interesting. just love us and, and provide closure or whatever you want to do, but please don't bring junk. We don't need junk. <laughs> that is huge. It's, you know, people want to love on you and it's yeah. like, you have to, you saved my life. So the least I could do is give you a donut. Like, right. it's right. not equal, yeah. but maybe if I give you diabetes, then like, it's like, <laughs> You know, right. level. I it just kind of comes from a good place. But you guys listening, closure and no sweets. Right? <laughs> just give them a hug and say thank you because that's freaking amazing. And <laughs> Annette, I want to keep going through. I would be, would be remiss if I didn't uh, bring this up. Obviously, I brought you guys on for a very different reason than like my traditional podcast. But there's something to be learned from every single person and every single profession that comes on. Um, and most of the people that bring on that I brought on, not most, every person that I brought on, you guys included, are people that have forged your own path. That you didn't just like follow status quo. You didn't just like these, you know, go along with everything. You're like, I want to do this thing. I want to make a difference. Like I'm going to go and and create this thing. I think just in how you live your life, both of you, um, and we're going to talk to Annette, it, it it's highly representative of that. So I would be remiss if I didn't ask, how is it as a female in the world of fire service? Oh gosh, Shante, that is, it's a tough question because it, some days are fine and some days are really rough and something that most people wouldn't think is a big deal kind of upsets me a lot. So just for an example, I was working last Friday on a trade and we were running into the grocery store and, um, an older gentleman, I heard him crystal clear the first time, but I ignored him. He says, Oh, I can see who's going to be cooking today. Oh, yeah. So I just ignored him thinking that maybe he would get the hint. So he said it louder. And so I turned around and I said, I'm, I'm not laughing at you. I'm just, laughing. I'm no, I'm not. I turned around and I said, 
what did you say? <laughs> Hoping that he would please, dear God, grow, grow some sort of a brain. And he said, I can tell who's going to be cooking today. And I, wow. I just looked at him and I'm like, why would you say something like why? that? Yeah. What? So things wow. like that come up every, every now and again. And that kind of shit really, really burns my toes. Yeah. But other than that, it's, it's absolutely fine. I love my crew. We have great respect for one another. Um, we do great work. So yeah, just little shit like that really, really makes me mad, Shante. I mean, I'm over here like dissecting this man's psyche and like, oh, he hasn't accomplished anything. And that's why he's saying this to you. And it's all about like, because that's terrible. No one should be saying that. Like, what? 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 What would you say, Annette, to females out there who are thinking about like, maybe they never even thought about this. It's so it's so valuable to start seeing people who look like you doing things because suddenly it's the Roger Bannister effect. And you're like, oh, maybe I could do that, too. And like, if you haven't seen someone do it, you never even thought about it. But Maybe you have people listening to this that are thinking about it or their daughters think about it. I don't know. Like, what would you say to someone who's, if, as a female, to a female, looking, thinking about potentially doing this? I think that if, if you put your mind to it, you definitely can do it. Um, Chris and I are pretty similar size, actually, but he's a male, obviously, so he is mm-hmm. a ton more powerful than I am. Uh, in terms of firefighters, uh, or in terms of the general population, I'm a pretty big female. But in terms of firefighters, I'm a pretty small firefighter. Technically, so is Chris, actually, just to be honest, because we're about the same size. But so... Maybe you're just huge. I'm huge. (laughs) (laughs) Why are you attacking me? Why are you... (laughs) So, you know, obviously, things are a little bit tougher for me. My gear weighs the same amount as everyone else's gear. So in proportion to my body size, it's heavier. So... But it's definitely doable, and I've been doing it for 16 years. So the thing that I would recommend to girls, and actually anyone getting into the fire service, is really work on your shit before you start, meaning your interpersonal Mm -hmm. skills, your communication skills. Heck, go get yourself a therapist and start working on all that mommy-daddy issues from when you were little. Those kind of things yes, I think would have helped me more than anything because I was an only child for eight years and then my brother came along and so, and, and my parents were not big fans of conflict. So I just was kind of like, um, always told just kind of, you know, be quiet and don't cause trouble. So I never learned how to have conflict or resolve conflict until I was like 35 years old in the fire service. So mm. that's a bad position to be in. Mm. So I would say working more on those like soft skills and mental skills are is super important for everyone. And then as a female, you just gotta you gotta work on your fitness twice as hard, I think. Yeah. Chris, I'm gonna flip it to you. Not asking about advice for young women, but (laughs) one of the things that and you guys both alluded alluded to it earlier. Um and so this is very much in the same vein of of advice and you know, skill set. So it's not a random segue here. Um, but you mentioned it earlier, decision making. That is like the number, I don't know, the number one to me skill set that, that those in the fire service possess is you're making these split second decisions in, you know, extreme conditions on very little sleep and they have to be good decisions. So this is something I think uh, is a skill that can be utilized by obviously anyone. Do you have any advice for all of us out here in terms of 
honing that skill set and decision making. And I mean, I know you guys receive different kinds of training and things like that, but I think it's really valuable to talk to someone that's like essentially a master at this. Anything you could share with us would be awesome. Yeah, I mean, I, well, I'm I'm still very much honing it myself, and I I get decisions wrong frequently. Um, <laughs> it's just reps. I mean, it's reps, and and what you get is is not a, a sixth sense, but an intuition when you need to dig deeper or when you can accept an answer and when you think you have enough information to take action. Uh, and we don't have a ton of time to figure that out. So sometimes like Annette was saying, you do the best with what you got and you just plan on adjusting as you go. Uh, but we, we talk to people every day that either don't want to see us, don't want to talk to us or are resistant to tell us the truth about one medical condition or the other, or they just don't know they're lying. Mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a common thing for us to go to uh, an old person's home and ask them about any conditions they have. And they say, nope, I don't have any heart or, or lung conditions. And then we look at their medication uh -oh. list and they have uh, 10 medications they're on. But because they're treating with medication, they no longer perceive themselves to have mm -hmm. that issue. Uh, so you got to know when to dig and you got to know uh, I'll tell a funny story. We had uh, just the other day, we went to a lady who was convinced she was having a stroke and, uh, she was not, she was clearly not having a stroke, but she was very dizzy. And so I asked her, uh, this eight year old woman, I said, is there any chance you took too many of your pain pills? She said, no, I haven't taken those in years. And I said, listen, it's legal in Illinois now. Is there any chance you took a recreational drug? And she said, no. And her friend said, no, she just took this CBD over here. And I looked at the CBD bottle and had a hundred milligrams of THC. Now, <laughs> what? Uh, I don't know. What? I don't know a ton about that stuff, so I had to look it up on my phone. A hundred? A hundred. In the whole bottle? In one in the whole uh, tiny chocolate square. What? So she, she popped a chocolate square thinking she was taking CBD for her Alzheimer's and her arthritis. Uh, um, and she that's so much. freaking out. And uh, <laughs> I said, you're not having a stroke. You are just far too high. And so <laughs> I had to look it up on my phone. <laughs> Because I had to know then, I'm like, okay, how bad off are we here? Is she going to freak yeah. out or what? And I found out that if you are a first-time THC edible user and you have no tolerance and no history, and I'll let you guys guess because I thought this was hilarious. And she was laughing her ass off. I mean, she was in great spirits. She was just confused. Uh, how much do you think a cookie should have? How many milligrams should a cookie of your first time have of THC? I'm going to 2.5. I was going to say five. Five. Five is right. And she took a hundred. <laughs> so like, I'm, I'm over here. I'm like, how did she not like die? She took a hundred. A hundred. And uh, her family gave them. It was, it was great. It was great. Her family gave it to her. Oh like, this will help. The CBD will help you. They give it to her. Not knowing there was any in it. They thought there was a hundred milligrams of CBD, which I don't know how that translates either, but they dosed their grandma. Uh, and it was oh hilarious. However, if... If you don't, so let's go back to the question. If you don't ask those questions and don't know that this doesn't fit the parameters, what we're supposed to be looking at, you might treat this person for a heart attack or a stroke, which would be completely inappropriate for someone who just took the wrong dose. Yes. So it's a skill that uh, you just get your reps in. And it's just like being any kind of health practitioner. Yeah. You got to know if the foot's causing the, hip, the knee pain or the hip's causing yes. the knee pain or if the opposite shoulder's causing the knee pain. Uh, it's knowing where to look and knowing when to ask questions and also when to back off. Uh, we've had multiple scenarios and patients where 
you know there's more questions to be asked, but you can read the situation. It's getting pretty tense. So I'm just going to take these answers and I am going to draw my own conclusions based on reliable information, not push this person, which I think is a, a useful thing yes. for healthcare in general. You just summarized successful healthcare right there. <laughs> like, you know, we have a lot of new grads that listen to the podcast and things like that. And they're like, want to be perfect decision makers. One, you're going to make mistakes. But two, it takes reps. Reps, then that leads into intuition because you've just you've done it more, you've seen more of it, and then knowing when to dig deeper, asking questions, and not just settling for like I read it in a book or I read it in a study. What about one person randomly ever? And then also that last part there, knowing when to back off and knowing like that's huge. Like that's a that's a soft skill, and I love that Net kind of talked about that before of honing that that skill set, that those soft skills of knowing when okay, like this is not the time to try and push more or push this person more because the queen's going to say no to that so that's... you got to know when you've lost i mean we had uh i was fortunate enough to work with the guy that lost his dad i was fortunate enough to work with him uh his situation was terrible he lost his dad to cancer and we would go to these patients houses and one of the hardest thing to do is try to convince somebody that they should go to the hospital and get help when they don't want to I mean, you're telling this person mm -hmm. you absolutely need medical care right now mm -hmm. it's in your best interest. I can't in good conscience leave you in this house because something terrible might happen to you. Yeah. And I learned a lot from this guy because his father at one point was just sick of hospitals and sick of needles and sick of people. And we would have this other medic who would not badger, but be very kind of stress the person out that they're talking to. Like, you got to yeah. go. You're going to, you may die. We can't leave you alone. Jeez. Oh, and then we learned from that guy, he said, back off, man. Some people can make their own decisions and you got to know when, when yeah. to cut bait and bail because you lost this one. They're not going. All you're doing is making things worse. So you got to know when you lost. And that's a tough, yeah. tough thing to learn because as a medical professional, you, you may actually know what's best for them, but if they're not willing and they've made up yes. their mind, you got to know when you got to suck it up and just let them be adults. Yeah. That is a huge lesson, Chris. That is Yes, that is like, I, I was on a podcast earlier this morning talking about that same thing. That is a huge, huge lesson, man. You guys are phenomenal. I'm looking at the time, so I want to like wrap us up, but I'm like, this is such a powerful, powerful episode. Before, before I let you guys go, Annette, I want to flip it to you. And can you just talk about uh, your appointment to the uh, Illinois Legislative Task Force on first responder suicide? It's kind of a big deal. You know what? I... I feel so honored and I really, I wish that the task force could be a lot bigger, but I guess there were, there's only a couple of appointments, but I received a phone call while I was in Colorado at the National Strength and Conditioning Headquarters. Um, actually, I received a text message and it was from <laughs> Matt Olson, who is uh, was integral in the state of Illinois in starting the Firefighter Peer Support Network. And so Matt just was asking, he said, I think that there's going to be some appointments to this legislative task force, you know, would you be interested? And I was absolutely interested because this is a venue or it's a way to get the awareness of what's going on um, to the policymakers in the state. So mm. we actually have our first meeting on the 27th of February, and I absolutely can't wait. From my understanding, there's a couple from the fire service. There's a couple from a uh, charity company called react. And then there's uh, some Illinois troopers and some local sheriffs. And so kind of covering all the bases of first responders, but I am super excited and I can't wait to hopefully have some influence. 
That's awesome and so much deserved. You guys listening, uh, I'll give, I'll have them give their Instagram handles and such in a, in a minute. But you follow them and both of them. I'm, I'm, I follow. I followed Annette for longer, but just all over the place. You guys think I travel a lot? Annette is always somewhere else, speaking at some other convention or conference, raising awareness. Like this is always doing something, fighting the good fight for this, really just at the tip of the spear uh, for this. So super, you know, very much deserved there, Annette. Congrats. That's, that's freaking awesome. Thank that's... you. And you know what? I have to give congrats back to you because, like I said, you definitely changed the trajectory of my life. So thank you very much. Dude, I'm truly honored to play whatever small role in, in this. This is this has been awesome. Chris, I'm flipping it back to you because I do, like I said, I'm, I'm like trying to be mindful of time because I could, I could keep talking to you guys about this, especially with the accents. Like, I love them so much. <laughs> I it's so good. That so, of course you don't. You're inside of it. You don't know. <laughs> but on the outside, you have them. Chris, uh, my standard question at the end is, is there anything that you want to leave the people with? You've given us so much. This, this, that last comment about you know knowing when to back off. You, basically, you can't care more than the person, the rap's intuition, all of this. Just the closure. You've given us so much in terms of just things to do. But is there anything else that you want to leave the people with that you haven't gotten to say yet? Um, I mean, I, I think I'd speak probably just the fire service in general uh, because we're we're going through really kind of a renaissance now. I mean, it's, it's kind of corny to say, but the explosion of support and mental health resources and foundations and events. And like we're, we're, Annette and I are doing a joint speak, uh, joint presentation at the Illinois firefighter peer support symposium. The amount of things like that happening is like never before. Uh, departments now have peer support teams. They have, uh, statewide peer support teams. They have so many ways that if you're having a tough time, or even if you're not, and you have a tough call, I mean, I've used them uh, several times under after isolated incidents. Um, I mean, my brother's involved. He's, he's a lieutenant with the same fire department. He's getting his master's in counseling, and he's heading up a ton of stuff. It's really becoming something that is hopefully uh, just another part of the fire service, just like any other tool or any other administrative branch or any other facet of the fire service. So if you're having a tough time, if you're nervous about talking about something, just know that there are so many ways to figure it out. So many people to talk to. You can hit up me in a net. We'll point you in the right direction if we're, if it's out of our scope. Uh, I guarantee there's someone in your area. And if there's not, we'll find them. Uh, but just know that it's a completely new world than it was even five years ago with the mental health side of firefighting in the fire service. So uh, I just want to give that give that green light and give that allowance to anybody that may be hesitant to, to take advantage of it because I said so and you can do that. <laughs> How can they reach you, my dude? Uh, I'm on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube under the fourth, fourth Shift Fitness banner, the number four, TH, Shift Fitness. That's a play on the, uh, the three shifts of the fire service, and I'm hoping to build up the fourth oh. shift, which is a cool place we can all learn and grow together. Uh, both on the job and away from it. So fourth shift in it is my everything everywhere. I was wondering what that was about. <laughs> I, I was like, yeah, I get it. Nope. <laughs> I don't get it. <laughs> uh, that is amazing. Actually, that's really good to hear because obviously on the outside, we don't know like 
are things getting better or not? And sort of hear that it is on, you know, a bit of a renaissance right now. That is, thank you for leaving us with that because that's a nice of a, a nice turnaround, a nice uptick there. Annette, is there anything, and I know there is, that you want to, to say? Anything. The mic is all yours. Oh, I love it. I think I would just exactly re-emphasize, you know, this whole collaboration, not competition. Yes, and, there you go. And, you know, quick story. First of all, I think there's room for a million of us in this industry because Chris and I cannot take care. We can't even take care of all of the fire departments in the Chicagoland area. But just quick story, we met about a year ago uh, as presenters at the Illinois Firefighter Peer Support Symposium. Uh, Chris had reached out actually beforehand and we kind of exchanged some technical information. But on the day of the symposium, uh, I went with some of my my guys from my fire department and I said, oh, hey, there's uh, there's Chris from Elgin. He has a business like mine. I need to go talk to him. And they were like, oh, what? What? You can't talk to him. He's your competition. I was like, oh my goodness, you have no concept of this. So uh, Chris and I became pretty fast friends. And um, I think if I could just like drive home that message to everyone, there is room in this space as there is room in physical therapy and strength and conditioning. And I don't know, French cooking, there is room yes, there for go. all kinds of people. So collaborate, do not compete. Dude, that's my girl. This is like so, so good. If they want to contact you you know reach out i almost said pick your brain and i hate that phrase if they want to contact you or reach out on that how can they do that i love it well i try to be consistent so on um the interwebs i am www.firesqfitness.com and i know you put this on the show notes shante so i won't spell it and then on both instagram and twitter i am at fire rescue fitness I really kind of hate Facebook, but if you really insist on Facebook, um, I'm Annette Marie on Facebook. Oh, fancy. We will link it, like she said. Uh, for those of you that – there's like there are a few people listening to the podcast who don't have show notes. I, it's one of the platforms that doesn't do it, and I'm like, what the heck. Um, but for Annette, it's Fire SQ. So if you say it fast, it becomes Fire Rescue. But it's Fire S, the letter S, the letter Q fitness so it's a nice little play on letters words sounds there um but fire rescue fitness i love it it's so good so so good you guys thank you like this is an episode is so different than one that i've ever done but one that as soon as you I mean, i've been following Annette for a long time and then annette is really big with the numbers and numbers speak to people and then just watching the you know death by suicide number go up and up and up and i was like what I have to do something. I, you just feel so like on the outside of things. And so I t- I'm so grateful for you guys taking the time to come on the show and share all this information and your experience. And more so than that, thank you for doing all that you guys are doing. Like this is absolutely phenomenal. And I know I speak for everyone when we say like we are eternally and endlessly grateful. So thank you, both of you. Thank you for having us. And we just appreciate, I'm speaking for both of us though. Mm-hmm. Chris may want to speak too, but uh, <laughs> you know, we just appreciate having the platform to, to be able to spread the word. So thank you so much. Yeah. Are there any like websites or anything that you want me to, that you want to say about now or promote now? I'll put in the show notes as well, but is there anything that you, anything like that? I don't think so. No, I think, I think uh, to plug our <laughs> social media, I think, both of us do a pretty decent job of yeah, reposting stuff phenomenal. that I think is uh, is useful, both to the fire service and the the gen pop. So 
Um, it's 100%. Really, what's that? I said 100%. You guys are oh, crushing it. Right on. 100%. So, yeah, if, if there's anything worth passing along, we'll, we'll no doubt have it up there or on our websites. And, and that's just a good place that we can uh, kind of filter stuff and then decide if it's in the same vein as us or not. Love it. Fourth Shift Fitness and Fire SQ Fitness. You guys have both of those. You can check out the website. You can check out the Instagrams. They're both very, very active on there. They will absolutely respond to you if you message them. Obviously, be kind uh, when you message, but they are so, so good with that, uh, which makes them even more near and dear to my Instagram-loving heart. <laughs> like, What can I say? You guys, again, thank you. This was absolutely absolutely phenomenal i know you guys have a, your busy lives and you got i think annette's going to work in five minutes just uh, <laughs> a sleeper so but thank you for doing this i i truly appreciate you absolutely thank you thanks Dante. you guys are welcome you guys listening thank you for tuning in i know you could have been doing anything and you chose to listen to us and for that we are all all three of us extremely grateful i'm not gonna ask for any likes i'm not gonna ask for any subscriptions or anything like that if you enjoyed this episode, repost it. If you loved this episode, share it with someone who you think it can help. The number one thing that we can do is raise awareness. All right, that's all I got for you. Until next time, friends, Annette, Chris, and Maestro, 